Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. The name above all names, the name that breaks every chain. We worship you and we exalt you in this place. And may you be exalted not only in the atmosphere, but in the heart and mind of every single one of us today. It's a first step for freedom, I believe, for somebody in here today. And I just feel like I have a word for somebody today. I don't know who it's for, but um, the phrase that came to me was, you don't know for sure if you're free until you've tried to do something that you couldn't do when you were shackled. And sometimes what I think happens is we find ourselves sitting with the shackles on, but they've already been loosened. They've already been unlocked. And we sit here saying, God, where are you? Why don't I feel you? Uh, Why do you feel so far away? Um, Maybe you feel like these shackles are my own doing and I put them on and so I feel like I can't stand. I'm the one that put on these shackles and I've ran from God for so long and Maybe you're in here and, and you're still wearing the shackles because um, you've been burned. You feel like God's let you down. You're disappointed in God. And you're not ready to give up on him, but you feel like you can't stand and worship with everything that you have within you. You feel like you don't have the freedom to shout or to rejoice. Maybe you've lost your joy. Maybe you feel like a shell of yourself and You're sitting here waiting for God to come and pull the chains off of you. And you may be even looking forward to that day. God, it's gonna be such a joyous day. I'm gonna celebrate when you finally take off my chains. But he's saying to you, I've already set you free. And and for some of us, it's, it's at that moment that we decide to stand up to shake those chains off and we have to do something sometimes in the physical maybe for us man we can't remember the last time we lifted our hands to the Lord because we feel like something is dead inside and so we've we've shrunk back and we've we've lowered our hands or maybe for some of us it says man when's the last time I jumped up and down before the Lord I feel like I don't have a reason to jump but God says if you start jumping right now there's nothing magical about jumping But if you jump out of faith and obedience, believing that I have set you free, those chains are gonna come rattling off as you give God your best worship. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. And that is you, and that is you, and that is you. Every single one of you, you are free today. And I wanna invite you as we go back into this song to give God the kind of worship that comes from a heart that has been set free, that comes from a heart that is unshackled and see if he will not meet you. See if he will not meet you right where you are, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your depression, in the middle of your discouragement. Let's worship him, church. Hallelujah. Give him your best praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. There's power in your mighty name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, lift your voices in your hands, church. In the name of Jesus, there is power in the name of Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, break every chain, break every chain. Break every chain, break every chain. They've already been broken. They've already been broken. Let faith, let faith rise up in this place. Let faith rise up in your heart today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Yes, Lord. The chains are falling right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I hear those chains falling. Yes, Lord. Addiction is falling. Strongholds are being broken. Fear is gone. Depression.
addiction is broken in Jesus' name. Relationships are being healed. Relationships are being healed this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Has anybody been set free this morning? Come on, let's give him some praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, God, that when you set somebody free, they're free. And we are not obligated to do the things that satisfy the flesh anymore. But in our freedom, we've become willing slaves to Christ, where true freedom is found because we serve a good God, a good master and Lord. We thank you, God, for the work that you've begun today and that you're the kind of God that'll be faithful to complete it. We thank you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God another hand clap. You can have a seat. Let's, let's thank our worship team for leading us into a powerful time of praise and worship, God's presence. Woo! I'm jacked up, how about you guys? Man, it's good to be at church today. Um, I'm, I'm pleased to see a solid holiday weekend crowd. That always makes a pastor smile, you know. Um, it, no matter how much great faith we have, we usually try to brace ourselves for the holiday weekends. How, you know, you might have half your church that's at the lake or camping or whatever. But man, uh, those of you that are camping right now, God bless you. Enjoy a wonderful rest with your family. Those of you that chose to come to church today, you also made a very good decision because God has a word for you. And I think that in a series like this, it's even more important to understand that. Today we're talking to husbands on a very specific level, but yet there is a word here for every single one of us, amen? How many of you know there's something that you can learn about what God says about biblical family and the role of a man in a, in, a, in a marriage and a family, and you can find something to apply to your life. Amen? That was pretty weak. How many of you think that God's got a word for you today? Amen. Okay. Now that you're awake, we are continuing our series entitled Home, which is about restoring families back to the original design that God has for families, back to biblical roles and We've been talking about how is, you can go to a bookstore and you can find tons of books on marriage and a lot of them will focus on the do's and don'ts of marriage. But in scripture, we find based on the um, amount of content uh, and teaching on uh, roles that biblical roles are uh, the most important thing. God put in his scripture that the most important thing is that you function in the role that God has designed for you to function in within the family unit. Because if you get that down, so many other things will kind of line up and, and fall into place. But when we step out of our roles, what do we do? We trip over ourselves. We get in each other's way. And it's difficult to get somewhere of somebody standing in the way. Amen? This is deep stuff, isn't it? You really, really, you know, you got to be a deep thinker to track along with me today. And so we believe that um, if you look at society today and if you look at the state of our nation and uh, at the world at large as well, that there seems to be an obvious attack on family, that the traditional, the biblical roles within the family are being muddied and confused twisted, perverted, even to the point where gender roles are being muddied and confused and twisted around and 
perverted. And so what that does is it causes a whole host of problems, which is the very reason why Satan targets families. Because God created the family unit, so naturally Satan hates everything that God has created. Um, Point at someone that, that Satan hates this morning. Okay, right? He hates us, right? Because we were created in his image. And so was the family. It was his design. He created the male and female. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Occupy the earth. And so from the very beginning, God blessed the family and made them fruitful. And it was his plan. On top of that, we we can see uh, throughout scripture that God wants to use family dynamics and relationships to reveal his character to the world. If we read on in this chapter, we find a passage that says that the marriage relationship is an illustration of Christ's relationship to the church. And that's just one role. But throughout the Bible, we talk to God as our father. And so that's the role of child and parent, right? And so he's glorified when we um, live out the biblical roles in our families in a biblical way, a godly way. He's glorified. People are drawn to that. And so Satan knows that if he can confuse the roles, then what he can do is he can take the image of God and distort it so much that people either lose interest and turn away, or at their frustration of who they believe God is, it turns them to all-out rebellion against God. Raise your hand if you can see some of that taking place today in culture. Okay, so it's not sneaking up on us. We're aware of it. Ephesians 5.21, we've read this verse a few times during this series, says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so we've been trying to handle this subject delicately, yet without watering down the truth. Hopefully we've been successful at that. Um, But one of the things that we'll see here is it says submit to one another. And so someone might say, there you go. Husbands and wives are supposed to submit to one another. And that is true. However, they do not submit in the same way. And so I I put it this way. Submission is a two-way street, but it's also a two-lane road. And so last week we talked about how there is a wife lane and this morning we're gonna talk about how there's a husband lane. Uh, how many of you know if it's, it's one thing to have a two-way street, right? But what if it's only one lane? Do you see any potential problems there? Maybe some head-on collisions in the future? So not only is it a two-way street, but it is a two-lane road so that we can operate in our differences, but yet in cooperation with one another. And so last week we talked about how the wife's lane is to primarily come from a place of yielding to her husband's leadership and to be a helper for him. When she was created, she was created with man in mind and to be a helper for him. And her power, here's the thing about wives. Here's something that um, I, will, I will admit. Um, husbands, you need to change and your wife knows it better than anyone else, okay? So let's just admit that right now. If you're a man in the room, you need to change. If you don't think you need to change, it's a whole different message. Um, My office door is open. We can counsel you. We all need to change, but who's gonna know better than the person that we are married to? The person that sees us at our best and at our worst. But here's the thing the woman's power to influence or change her husband is not by usurping his authority, but the Bible teaches us it's by sowing seeds of respect and submission to his leadership. And when a wife sows seeds of respect, she will reap the love that she desires in return. We talked about how men primarily desire respect even above love. It doesn't mean that we are cold-hearted and we don't want love. We do want love, but our primary need is respect. And as a wife um, sows respect, she reaps her primary need, which is love. Women want to be respected too, don't they? Ladies, you want to be respected? Let me hear you. Okay? But love, you were created so that love would be your primary need and respect would be secondary to that. And so as a husband sows seeds of love to you, 
he is more apt to reap the benefits of the respect that comes from you. And so the wife's lane is to yield, the husband's lane is to love the wife like Christ loved the church. And his power over her, his influence over her life is by sowing seeds of love that reap respect. And so the wife lane and the husband lane do not change. But here's the deal. Pay attention to this. Both husband and wife must follow the road signs. So last week we went through some wife lane road signs. Okay, we're gonna recap those real quick. The first one was this. There's a predetermination to yield and then we had our yield sign, okay? And so what this sign um, shows us is when we have a yield sign is it, it doesn't, we don't just hit the brakes as soon as we see a yield sign, do we? But we, we, hit, we, we go into the intersection with our foot ready to press on the brake. Because what that sign tells us is the other cars are likely to be present at the intersection. And when that moment comes and there's a potential collision, it is your responsibility to apply the brakes. Why is it important that we know who's supposed to slow down and who's not to? Because otherwise it becomes a game of chicken and it can be very, very dangerous. Number two, we talked about not making it a competition, like who gets to be first? And we came up with this sign here, this speed limit sign. Hopefully we have that one ready. It says speed limit, 1,000 miles per hour. Anybody ever been on that road? Not me. Why did I pick a sign that says 1,000 miles per hour? I'll tell you exactly why. Because it's absurd. And so is a husband and wife that treats their marriage relationship like it's a race for first place. Battling over who gets to decide this time who gets to be in charge. And then finally, number three, we talked about reflectors when we're on the road and how important they are that a wife reflects God's glory in her submission, her biblical submission to her husband. And then on the flip side, a husband reflects God's glory when he loves his wife the way Christ loved the church. And so the importance of a reflector is it reminds us this, that it's not about where we want to go, but it's about being clear where the road is leading us. And so as we follow the scriptures, he gives us reflectors to say, look, go this way and it leads to life. If you veer off the road, how many of you know that could lead to some problems? Um, I remember driving home from Texas oh, one day with a, with a roommate of mine and we were carpooling back to Arizona and we came down through um, Winslow and we were coming down into Strawberry. And if you've ever been up there on the Highway 87, there's these crazy switchbacks and there's areas where there's no railing. And if you go over the edge, it's a long drop to the end. And, and we were so tired, but we were on the final stretch. It was like an hour until we reached Payson, where I was from. And so we just turned on really loud music. We, we, we were playing Demon Hunter. It's this like re Christian, religious, like metal band, right? And it's just like, you know. And so we're like, how can we fall asleep to this? So I'm watching the road. My friend is driving. And all of a sudden I look at him and he goes, and his eyes are still mostly open, but he's like leaning. And then all of a sudden the car starts to drift to the right while the road is banking hard left. Luckily, we're only going about 10, 15 miles per hour because you have to really slow down on that road. We made it all the way to the shoulder into the dirt, heading for a reflector and then a ravine. When I said, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> I grab the wheel, yank it to the side. He comes to, slams on the brakes just a few feet from the edge of this cliff. And so it's so important that we understand where the road is taking us. If, if we're stubborn and we say, I wanna go straight because that's easier, the shortest distance between uh, two points is a straight line, right? And so this is a shortcut. This is me getting what I want. It's like somebody going straight on a road with switchbacks. It just doesn't work out. And so when we focus on uh, being in the role God has given us, we focus on those reflectors. We reflect his glory. Uh, other people can see where the boundaries are too. And they're drawn to it and it keeps us from crashing. Have you ever known the person? And so today we're gonna get into the husband lane. Have you ever seen the person on the road that drives as if they're the only one on the road? 
Man, we talked last week, we asked you to talk about your pet peeves when it comes to traffic, right? This got to be one of them. The person that is weaving in and out of lanes without using their turn signal, the person that cuts you off, um, you know, when we... Uh, uh, we're just driving like a bat out of hell, right? And like the, there's no concern for safety for anyone around us whatsoever. When we do this, we're driving like we're oblivious to the other cars on the road. But defensive driving is something that you learn when you break a law and um, you don't want to pay the ticket because you don't want it to go on your record, so you go to defensive driving school. So I'm told, you know, I'm not talking from firsthand experience or anything. And what they teach you in defensive driving school is to be hyper aware of not only yourself, but all the other drivers around you. They challenge you uh, to scan everything in your line of vision, not just what's right in front of you. And so um, as a driver, not only are you paying attention to whether or not you're following the laws, but you're trying to read the behavior of the drivers around you. You wanna anticipate. This guy looks looks like he's in a hurry, So he may whip out in front of me. So I'm just gonna go ahead and slow down right now just in case. And how many times have you done that and it's perhaps avoided an accident, anybody? It's like, why are only the ladies raising their hands? What's up, guys? You're not defensive drivers? I'm kidding, I saw a few men, right? And so in the same way, as husbands, we can live and operate in our families as if we're the only ones on the road. So... I'm going to ask a challenging question for you to discuss at your tables today. In what ways have you seen men operate in their marriage like they're the only ones on the road? So it could be yourself, some mistakes you've made, something you've witnessed. You might want to try to avoid throwing your husband or your dad under the bus at your table, right? Maybe you want to speak in generalities and, Andrew, be nice to your dad. Just kidding. But let's go ahead and discuss this at our tables. In what ways have you seen men operate in their marriage like they are the only ones on the road? Ready? Break! All right. Well, great discussion at our table. I trust it was enlightening at yours as well. And Man, uh, something was said at my table that really uh, reminded me of something. It is difficult to be a man. The brothers in the house relate. Can you, can you affirm that it's, sometimes it's hard to be a man? It's hard to be a husband. It's hard to be a father. And one of the things that uh, Devin was sharing at our table is that uh, for a man, sometimes the challenge is to be fun yet firm. Like if you if you if you're a dad here, you you've you've had the the conversation where you arrive home from work and you're exhausted, right? Because you're trying to give your best at work, and your mom says, or your mom, uh, their mom says to you, so and so was very disrespectful to me. You need to go in and handle that. And so now the the dad that wants to be fun-loving and play sports with their children and stuff like that has to go in and bring down the hammer um, and reinforce and back up the wife's discipline in that situation. That's difficult to do, right? It's hard to sometimes be fun and then also be firm at the same time. Um, We've got the pressures at work where people expect us to be at our best. We've got the pressures at home. and, and, And in fact, we should save our best stuff for the home right? I mean, I mean, if you fail at home, you've failed, period, right? If you fail at home, then you've just failed as a man. And so, and so you got to not just save the leftovers for your family, but you got to bring your best stuff. And so there's a lot of pressure on being a man. And so this morning, we're going to talk about how we follow the signs uh, um, in the husband lane. And so my hope, again, is that as you're driving down the road, you're going to see some of these actual traffic signs And it's going to remind you of these biblical principles. Um, And so, husbands, you may have the right of way using that traffic technology, that traffic lingo, right? You may have the right of way in marriage, but you're also called to live with your wives in mind. Uh, Not like you're the only ones on the road. Not like you live with your children in mind. Not like you're the only ones on the road. And so what I want to do is I want to give you three road signs this morning that teaches how to love our wives. Teaches how to love our wives 
into submission, how to love our wives in such a way where they're glad to submit, they're glad to follow our leadership. So turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 25, and we're going to hear what Paul says to husbands. He says, for husbands, and again, this is relating to verse 21 that says submit to one another. So last week, we learned what it means for wives to submit to husband. Now we're going to learn what it means for husbands to submit. It says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, somebody say in the same way. How many of you can see here that Paul is raising the bar for men? Amen? This is what I'm hoping will happen today, that men, we will raise the bar when it comes to loving our wives. For he says, in the same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Because no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church. Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts to receive your word today. That we would recognize the authority of scripture and the application to our lives and it would change us in Jesus' name, amen. So for husbands, this means love. For wives, it means submit or respect. For husbands, this means love. So the way we submit is not, we, we're gonna submit to their authority and we're gonna swap roles and we take turns on who's in charge, but we submit to them in love. And so number one way to love our wives is to deeply love and care for her deeply love and care for her. In this passage right here where it says, husbands love your wives, uh, what Greek word does anybody think is used here for love? Anybody, any, any theologians in here? Which one? Agape. That's right. And did you know that agape is the love that we attribute to God? Um, in Greek, there's, there's agape love, there's eros love, which is sensual love, there's phileo love, which is brotherly love, maybe the kind of love you might have for a family member or a very close friend, but agape is different. Agape is um, a choice. It is an affection which involves choice and selection. And so this same word uh, from the root agape is the same word for love that is used in the most famous scripture on the planet. Planet. Does anybody know what that is? The most famous Bible verse. Melida's got it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, for God so agapeo the world, that he gave his only son. So what that means is notice how it doesn't say, uh, for God felt so much love for the world that he gave his only begotten son. It doesn't say God was full of a burning desire for us, and so he gave his only son. It says he agape the world, which means he chose to love the world, and so he gave his only son. And that's important to understand because this is an act of will, not a feeling. And one of the biggest challenges we have as men is growing up in a society that teaches us that love is just a feeling. That love is just an emotion. But for those of us that were brought up in, in, in youth groups like me and Kelly here, we learned that love is a verb. DC Talk, 1992. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you heard. The word love, love is a verb. All right, here we go. That was just for me and her. You guys are just out. It's a choice. It's an action and it's a choice. James McDonald said, do the things that love does and you will feel the things that love feels. Think about that. So husbands, you're in the room today and you're like, I, we've just, she's lost that love and feeling. Whoa, that love and feeling. Do the things that love does and you will once again begin to feel the things that love feels. Choose to love. 
the emotion will follow. So I, I brought this sign. Um, this sign is a crosswalk sign. Anybody recognize it? Now you do. <laughs> and what that sign is communicating to drivers is it's reminding us that we are responsible for the safety of pedestrians at all times, right? Don't pedestrians always have the right of way? In other words, if you see somebody in the road, you should probably stop. But even more specifically, especially when they're in a crosswalk. Because when you see a crosswalk, you should expect the presence of other people. If there's ever a bad time to drive, like you're the only person on the road, it's in a crosswalk. And to make matters worse, in a school zone, right? How many of you, when you drive through a school zone, even if you're a fast driver, you're a little extra aware of your surroundings? In other words, how many of you are not terrible human beings? Okay, great. So the sign reminds us to pay attention because there's this zone that is designated for people to cross. But what's funny is I have to ask myself the question, do we even need this sign? Like, who needs that sign? I mean, can you imagine that? Like, like uh, an officer pulls over the driver. The driver's like, something wrong, officer? He's like, well, you just ran over all these people in the crosswalk. I didn't see a sign. What's the big deal, right? We don't need a sign to tell us that that's not good. That's a bad thing. That's a serious uh, crime. But the crosswalk sign is a reminder to keep an eye out, to be hyper aware to scan your whole line of vision, not just look at what's right in front of you. And marriage is a lot like this crosswalk. See, marriage is a covenant relationship, which means it's built upon the most powerful promise you can make. It is a promise made in blood. And as a result, what comes along with a covenant is a sense of safety and security. Because someone has done so much more than just repeat some vows, but they've stepped into a blood covenant that says, this is forever, baby, you and me, no matter what, and I'm not going back on my word. And so marriage is like a covenant crosswalk. And so your wife is in the designated safe zone of marriage, and let me tell you, men, that should mean something. That should mean the most more than any other thing, more than any other commitment that you make between any other person, that should mean something. Notice that when it says, husbands, love your wives, this is a command. And it's not telling you how you should feel, but it's telling you what you must do. In other words, husbands are given a responsibility. Number two, take responsibility for her. So we're called to love and care for her deeply, but we're also called to take responsibility for her. Notice how in verse 25, not only does it say, husbands, love your wives, but it says, husband, let's emphasize this, love your wives. So first of all, it's important not to um, love other people's wives. File that one away, right? But you take responsibility for your wife. How many of you have ever seen this sign before in a parking lot? and it makes you real warm and fuzzy inside when you're about to go to an event, and you're just like, yeah, we are not responsible for theft or loss of personal property, and you're like, what type of neighborhood am I in, right? Makes you real nervous. And so if they're not responsible, um, point to who's responsible in this scenario. I'm responsible, why? It's my stuff, right? It's, it's my vehicle, I'm responsible. And so what happens is it's not like they are advertising like, hey, go ahead and rob people here and we won't hold you accountable to it. What that means is you're responsible because it's your car and so if it gets stolen or vandalized, you're the one that's gonna need to recover that property or replace that property. Now, before you get all freaked out, I am not telling you that your wives are your property, okay? But they are your responsibility. You're responsible for your wife because she is your wife. And so what does that mean? Well, think about this. If we go back to the beginning of creation, at the first time that humanity rebelled against God, uh, who was it that rebelled against God first? Was it Adam or was it Eve? 
It was Eve, right? Eve was the first to rebel against God. She ate of the forbidden fruit. She questioned his intentions. Um, She questioned God's character. She didn't believe that he wanted what was best for her. And so she gave into this temptation. But who did God come looking for when he found out what she had done? Genesis 3, 9 This is one of the most uh, seemingly insignificant verses until you put it in context. It says, Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Why didn't he say, Eve, I'm coming for you. You messed it up for your husband. Because she, because he was responsible for the decision that she made. Now, she was held accountable too, but listen, it goes on, and here's what Adam tried to do. He tried to do what what we've been trying to do since that day. He tried to pass the buck. Nothing worse than a man that tries to skirt responsibility, right? Pass the buck. So what he does is he throws his wife under the bus, and he says, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. This woman that you gave me what was I supposed to do? I mean, she's beautiful, she's naked, she hands me an apple. Like, what would you do in this situation? And this is God's response to him. He says, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed. And everybody say this with me, because of you. Everybody point to a male and say, it's because of you. so we're responsible and again we know if you read that passage you see that there was a consequence for woman right there was a consequence for man there was a consequence for satan right everybody got a consequence but he held the man primarily responsible because he failed to lead his wife men we are responsible and if we do not effectively lead our wives then we're failing Uh, period. And so to love your wife, let me point out this, is to love only your wife. I was being kind of funny earlier, but this is so important. In other words, to truly effectively love your wife, I want to challenge you, men, don't even give your eye to another woman. Every time you, you go out of the way, you're in the grocery store, you see a pretty woman go down the aisle, and so you decide you might need something on that aisle also. Every time that girl who walks by who's got her really short shorts on and you take a second look to see what she's got going on, you're giving your affection and your attention to someone or something else. Every time you get on the internet and you look for those pictures, what's happening is every time you direct your desire and attention in another direction, what you're doing to yourself, men, is you're depleting your capacity to love your own wife. So what you're doing is you're turning to images, other people, other things to provide what you desire. And so what happens is it's kind of like if you're, if, if you're watering your garden and you've got one of those little garden waterers, right, where it comes out like a nice little shower. And it's like you're walking around, you're not paying attention, it's just spilling out everywhere you go. Then you get to your garden and all that you have left is a little bit left over at the bottom and your garden gets your leftovers. And so what we do, men, is when we don't guard our eyes and, and when we give our attention towards other women or images or things like that, what we're doing is we're pouring out what we have. We're pouring out our affections all over the place. We're spilling it out. And all of that is wasted. Do you understand that? When, when you come across something inappropriate on the internet, all that attention you're giving it is completely wasted. It's fallen upon deaf ears because although that person might be a real person, they can't receive anything from you. And so all you're doing is taking. And in your desire to take, you're actually robbing yourself of your capacity to love your wife. Here's the answer to that. Instead of doing that, What if you focused every ounce of your desire, emotional, physical, spiritual, intellectual, and you lavished it upon her? You poured it all out upon her. And if you're feeling like you have needs, you're feeling like you have urges, you're feeling like you have a need as a man, you direct it towards your wife every single time relentlessly. And what happens is this will not only fill up her tank, 
because you're loving her, but it'll increase your capacity to love your wife because you're not spreading your affections out and spilling them out all over the ground. Um, Something that I try to do, but I'll be honest, a little bit less regularly, maybe a lot, than when I was a newlywed, right? Um, uh, One of the things I did is I gave my wife a present right before our wedding, and it was this engraved box. And I wrote her a note promising to uh, leave her notes in this box so she can just keep it full of love notes, right? And so for, for the first few months, it was like every day, new note, new note. It didn't have to be a big, long book or whatever, just a little reminder that I love her, have a great day type of thing. And, and then I'd uh, fold it up and put it on top of the box. She'd read it, put it in the box, right? And so, um, you know, the goal was that, you know, in 17 years, um, it, she's going to have like 16 boxes, right? Just full of notes. And uh, I'll say that trailed off a little bit. But I try to remember that. I try to go back that. I, try to, I just wrote her a note um, a couple of days ago, and it's not just because I was preparing this message. <laughs> and uh, I left it on the seat of her car so that when she got in the car, the first thing she would see is a love note from her husband. And so she left, and like about 60 seconds later, I get this text, I love you too, with all these ex- exclamation points made her feel loved. Not only did I make her feel loved, but something happens when I'm writing a note to my wife. It's amazing. I'm forced to focus my thoughts on her, to give her my attention and my desire, because I'm trying to think of what it is I want to write. What is it that I truly appreciate about my wife? What is it that I truly love about her? And as I do that, guess what happens? Feelings of love are stirred up within me. And so I begin to, as I'm writing these things, I've gotten teary-eyed before. You know, just thinking about how, how lucky I am to be married to this amazing woman. And it happens because I'm expressing, I'm putting it down on paper. And so I'm doing the things that love does. And as a result, I'm starting to feel the things that love feels on a greater level. And so we both benefit from that. Now, I could take a selfish approach and be like, when's the last time she wrote me a note? I'll write her a note when she writes me a note. Who's benefiting from that? Nobody, and yet I can go out of my way to express my love to her, and we both benefit from it. And so not only is Paul commanding husbands to love their wives, but he tells them how. He says in verse 25, just as Christ loved the church. Talk about setting the bar high, right? Men, it's time to raise the bar. If there's anything you take away today, it's time to level up as a a man, trying to level up as a husband. Raise the bar on how you love your wife. Why doesn't Paul just say, husbands, love your wives, and just move on? Why does he go into all this detail? I'll tell you exactly why. Because men, in our nature, here's what we would do. We would let ourselves off the hook immediately. You would read that, husbands, love your wives. I love my wife. Check. Moving on. Next verse. I already love my wife. You know, maybe you're one of those guys that says, I told you the day I married you, I loved you. If anything changes, I'll let you know, right? Don't you love that? So, so romantic, right? Or don't I give you a hug every day before I go to work? Don't I give you a kiss at night, you know, whatever it may be? But no, he says, this is how you should love your wife. And then he starts to describe it. By the way, Christ loves the church. And this is crazy. It says he gave up his life for her. He gave up his life for her. So because of love, Jesus took on the responsibility of reconciling the relationship between God and mankind. If we want our wives to submit and respect us, men, it's this type of love that's going to help bring her to that place. I found this in what what I'll call for short the JFB commentary. (laughs) It says, do you wish your wife to obey you as the church is to obey Christ? then have a care and concern for her as Christ had for the church. And if it be necessary to give thy life for her or to be cut in 10,000 pieces or to endure any other suffering, whatever, do not refuse it. If you suffer thus, not even so do you do what Christ has done. For you indeed do so being already united to her but he did so for one that treated him with aversion and hatred. So also do you act towards your wife. 
And though you see her disdainful and wantonly wayward, you will be able to bring her to your feet. How? By much thoughtfulness for her, by love, by kindness. This is the husband lane. This is your power, man. This is your influence. It's a love that can capture even the most disdainful heart. And there may be someone in here right now saying, Pastor, but I'm the only one fighting. If you understood how badly she treats me, how she disrespects me, she nags me, she cuts me down, she attacks my manhood on a regular basis, trying to motivate me by insulting my masculinity, and you're telling me to fight for her. Uh, Pastor, my wife has already given up on the marriage. I'm the only one fighting. I want you to take a moment again, to consider the cross. Because we serve a savior that hung on a cross for people that weren't even interested in restoring the relationship. He suffered, he bled, and he died for people that didn't even know they needed a savior. For people that didn't even understand why he was doing what he was doing, he hung up there and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And people laughed at him and mocked him and gambled for his remaining clothes. There's something about when a man reserves a revelation of the love of Jesus Christ for him that enables him to say, I don't care how wayward my wife is. I don't care how poorly she treats me. I don't care how much she's given up on the relationship. Maybe the fire left our marriage a long time ago, but I'm gonna stand up and I'm gonna fight because I know the power of a savior's love. And it has transformed my life to the point where I'm gonna stand up and I'm gonna fight for this marriage even when she feels like there's nothing left to fight for. And men, If you'll begin to do that, I promise you that God will honor the way that you are loving your wife and the way that you are leading your home. And let's not forget the children, that they're watching whether or not dad's gonna fight. They're they're, they're learning what it means to be a man by watching how you handle conflict in your marriage and, and what's worth dying for, what's worth suffering for, what's worth fighting for. And they're watching everything that you're doing. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And so while she disrespects you or maybe doesn't give you what you think you need, fight for her. I mean, what if Jesus determined that the relationship wasn't worth fighting for? I think he'd be justified in that. To consider how many times humanity has rebelled against God over the last 6,000 years or so. Maybe there's nothing left to fight for. Verse 26, it says, he did this to make her, the church, holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. The imagery here is that of baptism or uh, also a ritual bath that brides would uh, take before they were given in marriage. A way to present themselves as pure and holy uh, before they're given over to their husbands. And in verse 27, it says, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And so what Jesus did on the cross is something that we could never do for ourselves. He erased our past, removed our guilt, and then he presented us as a spotless bride to be brought into marriage with our creator. Jesus had every right to hold your sins against you. He had every right to hold our sins against us and to, and to use guilt to just drive us into servitude. But that's not God's heart. Men, we must have the heart of Christ and take the responsibility of loving our wives. But remember, taking responsibility is not taking control. Taking responsibility is not seeking to control our wives. I like what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 7. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, 
since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. What is he saying there? He's describing a sense of equality. So that your prayers may not be hindered. That's probably its own message right there. Men, if you're frustrated that your family is falling apart and you feel like God isn't doing anything about it, how are you treating your wife? Because it could be that you're hindering the effectiveness of your prayers. So not only do we not seek to control, but number three, we make room for her. Or in other words, we merge. You ever seen this sign before? It's coming. It's coming. The merge sign. Let me describe it for you. It's yellow. has an arrow that points straight. And then it has a connecting arrow that shows to illustrate traffic merging. And what this sign uh, reminds us is that merging traffic, so those that are entering the highway, have, um, do not have the right-of-way. The traffic that's on the highway has the right-of-way. Some of you, you're getting a traffic lesson for the first time. You're like, I've been doing it wrong my entire life. Okay. That's cool. That's not in the script. Um, so... We'll just wait for that. Kanye, no one invited you to church today. Okay. All right. Still? All right. Maybe we just need a dance break. That's awesome. Okay. And then I got muted during that. That was odd. Okay. So, <laughs> so some of us think that it is the people on the highway, that it's those drivers' job to move over and let us in. Anybody ever think that before? Like, I'm merging, you need to get out of the way. But in reality, it's the responsibility of the merging vehicles um, to gauge their speed, right, to find an opening in traffic to move over. However, I think all of us have experienced that time when traffic is so heavy where it seems as if someone doesn't slow down and let us in, we'll never be able to merge. Anybody have ever been in that situation before? So oftentimes, even though the driver has the right to just keep pace and not let you over and say, stinks for you, they will, out of uh, kindness in their heart, break so that you can come and move over. This is how it's supposed to work in marriage, men. There are times when merging isn't possible unless you make room for her. And so if everyone did this and didn't let the car merge, that person would never be able to merge. They'd never be able to get to where they're going. And I think for some of us this morning, we can actually be hindering our wives from getting to the place that God wants to take them because we're refusing to make room for her. See, God has a direction for your wife, and though it is in cooperation with your calling, it's also unique to her. God has gifted women, amen? The Bible says that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and it says even the women will prophesy. And so if God has given our women spiritual gifts, then there needs to be room for them to operate in the calling that God has placed upon their life. And we show love for our wives by making room for them to be who God has called them to be. Wrapping up here in verse 28, it says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. That's the opposite of control, isn't it? It's a sacrificial love. And it says a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Men, this is godly leadership. It's not exerting your strength over her, your will over her, not trying to control her, but it's loving her into submission. Loving her in such a way that you capture her heart where you become a man that she's proud to follow, she's proud to submit to. It says in verse 29, not only do you not hate your body, but you feed and care for it. How many of you know that if a body is undernourished, and not taken care of, it loses strength. And eventually will lose its ability to function and will eventually die. Men, if you're not getting the respect from your wife that you feel you deserve, could it be, could it be because she's starving of love? Is it that she's at the seat of your table and she's not getting fed? that you have what she needs, that God has given you what she needs to nourish her, 
and you've been withholding things. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning as we close. And First of all, I just want to speak to some people who might be in here and maybe this is a, a, a message that's not very familiar to you and maybe, maybe this is the first time you're hearing about the concept of Jesus laying his life down for you. And when you're now, now, now God's showing you and he's revealing his love for you this morning. He's showing you all that he sacrificed for you so that you can become in relationship with him. And you're recognizing today you don't really have a relationship with Jesus at all. You don't have a relationship with God. But you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart today. You, you feel this nudge inside that's saying, I want that. Not only do I want to be able to love my wife this way, but I want to know the God that loves me this way. And you want to step into a relationship with him by receiving the forgiveness he offers and by giving your life to him. If there's anyone here in the room today, would you just acknowledge uh, that invitation by just lifting your hand today so that we can pray a prayer of salvation over you? Anybody in the room, you say, I do not have a relationship with Jesus today. I'd like to start one. Awesome, amen. Now what I'd like to do is I'd like to ask everyone to stand and this is how we're gonna close out. We're gonna end our time together in communion and communion is something that we invite every follower of Jesus to partake in. You'll see that um, at the sides we have tables with the elements that you use. You're gonna find two cups. There is bread in the bottom cup, juice in the top cup, so take both cups. And the bread represents Jesus' body that was beaten and bruised and broken for us. The Bible teaches us that he paid the penalty for our sins. The juice represents the blood that he shed. Every last drop, he gave his entire life. And it's because of the shed blood of Christ that we have forgiveness because we deserved what he got. But he was completely innocent and took it in our place. And what a perfect activity for us to do together as we recommit to one another to be the biblical men that we've been called to be, to be the biblical wives that we've been called to be. So what I would like to do is I'd like to invite all of you here that if you are here and your spouse is here with you, I wanna invite you guys to go get the elements and to take communion together, just the two of you. And before you partake of the cracker and the juice, I want you to take some time to be honest with each other, to confess the road signs that you have not been following and to ask for forgiveness and to in turn forgive one another. Husbands, commit to loving your wife the way that Christ uh, loves the church. Wives, commit to submitting to your husband as unto the Lord. And I'd like you guys to partake of those elements together and I'd like you to close out by just embracing one another and praying over one another because I believe that God is gonna do something very special and unique with just the two of you this morning. Now, for the rest of you, what do you do? Your spouse isn't here. Maybe you're too young to have a spouse, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, we have some table hosts that are gonna try to make sure no one's alone, but we just encourage everyone to group together at random tables, groups of three to seven, and uh, go ahead and take communion together that way. So Father, right now, as we prepare to do this and as we release people to go get their elements, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through each one of us that there would be powerful ministry happening between couples and at tables. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and get our elements. Two tables on this side. There's two tables on that side. Find your spouse or find a table to join. And we're gonna spend a few moments in communion. Wow. Well, God is good. And we are about to have an opportunity this morning to transition into a time of giving and I love that we have the opportunity to give to God um, in worship, but also as sometimes as a response of gratitude to what he's done for us. But before we transition into giving, um, just a few announcements to share with you guys. Um, uh, first off, uh, the Reset Retreat is coming up on the 15th and 16th. And this is something that I would like every single one of us to attend if possible. You can sign up online. But this is just about 
obtaining the life that God has already paid for. It's already available to us, but sometimes we have hangups and things that get in the way and keep us from living in the freedom we've been called to live in. So sign up for the retreat. It's gonna be right here at the church on the 15th and 16th, and it's gonna be so impactful and powerful. Um, Secondly, we are starting Rooted Up again, and um, we need you to sign up as soon as possible so that we know Um, you know, how many spaces we have remaining. And so Rooted is going to take place on Saturdays from 10 to noon. Child care will be provided at this one. And so if that's something that's held you back in the past, please don't let it hold you back anymore. Um, And so kickoff for that is the 16th, but we need you to get registered ASAP so that we can plan uh, for that. I think that's it. And so if you guys would just stand with me, we're going to pray a blessing over today and over our offering today. So Father, right now, we thank you so much for your word of truth. We pray that it has penetrated every heart. And I thank you for the miracles that you're going to perform in our marriages and in our families. And Father, as we give today, Lord, let us step into generosity, trusting the God that provides all our needs. And I pray you would continue to pour out your blessings upon us so that like you told Abraham, the world would be blessed through us for you have blessed us to be a blessing. So bless us as we give today. Go with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Don't forget to give on your way out. We'll see you again next time.